the incomparable. Number 299, May 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. This is a uh, special episode uh, where we, we uh, despite a popular thought that we, like, watch every new release and then immediately podcast about it, it actually only happens maybe once or twice a year. This is one of those episodes. A bunch of us went and saw Captain America, colon, Civil War recently, and uh, because it came out uh, a couple of days ago, unless you're in the UK, in which case I don't even know if one of our guests is going to even remember what happened because it came out last week. Uh, so we're going to talk about Civil War, and let me introduce our guests. Um, I'm going to start with James Thompson because he is in Scotland and therefore saw this like more than a week ago and has been lording it over us the whole time. Hi, James. Well, thank you, Jason Snell. Um, I know you know a lot of super people, so th- thanks for thanking of me. Thank you. I'm you. It was you or Tony Stank. Uh, David J. Lore uh, is in Indiana, and so he uh, saw it more or less when the rest of us did. Hi, David. Hi, you guys are awesome. <laughs> um, uh, Moises Chuyan is in Texas, and I believe Texas is still on uh, in the U.S., so I think he saw it. Uh, you saw a screening, so you saw it probably uh, earlier this week. Is that right? Yeah, I saw, I saw a press screen. I'm, I'm sorry, Jason. I, I, I lost track. I was talking to your hot aunt over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, wh- 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 what were we talking about? She's big with the Utes. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Lisa Schmeiser, like me in California, saw it uh, very recently. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, I'm not sure. Has the movie come out in Canada yet, Erica Ensign? <laughs> we saw it on Thursday. And when you say we, do you mean your husband, Stephen Schapansky, saw it with you? Uh, I'll let him speak for himself. I did see it uh, with uh, thanks. Uh, if we if we didn't have Justin Trudeau in uh, and as prime minister now, we probably wouldn't have got it as early as we did now. But now that the uh, U.S. Canada relations are a I lot see. better now, yeah, well, now we, that the war's I'm, over, I'm exactly. honestly surprised Justin Trudeau isn't already a part of the Avengers. Any war involving Canada is a civil war. Oh, oh. <laughs> the most civil war. <laughs> it ends with one story. It's uh, all done on paper. So civil war, you know, Marvel, we, when we t- when we did our Age of Ultron episode last summer, I, I, I think there was a conversation that we had that I, I keep coming back to, which is that these aren't you know, these aren't movies as we think of movies in that they're not standalone movies. They are they are uh, part of this ongoing storyline. Uh, I think this is a movie that is not something that can be deeply appreciated uh, if you uh, there are a whole lot of levels here that you really need to have seen uh, all the other Marvel movies or at least many of the other Marvel movies to get it. Um, and I, I think what's great about that is that if you go in with that level of knowledge, sort of like a long running TV show, then you can get a whole lot more out of it. Um, so I, I thought maybe we would start there. Uh, you know, everybody's thoughts about this, this, this movie as an installment in a, in a series and, uh, and how that, you know, how that played off of, of your, over your reaction to it. How did your reaction fit in, in terms of, uh, it being not a, not a standalone movie as Andy and Nako would always remind us doesn't stand alone really, I think, but, uh, it, it is definitely part of the, the, the storyline that they've been building for so many movies now that make so much money. It's kind of amusing that the further they get into the Marvel verse, the more the movies feel like comics, where you have to, where you have to have read all the backstory to fully appreciate the cameos or the developments or understand why something's so significant. Um, especially with the Ant Man sequence, for example, which I enjoyed greatly. Don't get me wrong, but um, and it, it provided some much needed levity. However, I feel like if you hadn't seen the Ant-Man movie, you'd be like, why is Paul Rudd in the back of this van acting like every guy? And why is he putting on this suit? Um, 
And again, that whole experience kind of reminds me of the experience of reading comics, especially when the editors used to have to put notes, put you notes, know, in, yeah, in the bottom, in the you know, see issue da, 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 of this or that. Um, Why is this Black Knight guy wearing a bomber jacket again? Yeah, exactly. yeah. So you know, I I agree with you that as the movies, as the mythology gets more complex. Um, appreciate you can't really appreciate them as standalone movies and i think it's kind of funny that these huge cinematic experiences are becoming more and more like the experience of reading comic books in the 1980s where you have to put in the time and the knowledge just to oh oh this is why it's a big deal right. or, or or something but, so, but you get you know you get some richness out of having it but you do have to have that experience yeah dude i squealed out loud in the theater when when are, are we actually talking about what happened in the movies like, yes yes this this is i will say it now i will say thank you lisa for prompting me hey uh this is the time we're gonna fire off the spoiler horn this movie's in theaters as we record this go see it and if you uh haven't seen it yet don't listen to this yet okay i feel better the spoiler horn has has uh, encouraged us to continue because i actually kind of squealed out loud in the theater when um when Scott Lang hits the suit and then goes up to 50 feet. Yeah. And it was kind of exciting to, to watch that, to, to, to watch it go from both small to big that way. And you didn't have to wa- read the comics to get as excited about that. But I, I still feel like there was that tiny bit of, of layer where it did kind of help. Hmm. If you have read comics sure. and you know the suit can go in a couple different directions too. I, I actually, I had the Giant Man thing spoiled for me like a million people by, I don't know, a Lego oh. set or something or another like that. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Lego confirmation from Stephen Shabansky. That's <laughs> yeah. why he's yeah, here. I, I can <laughs> confirm this. This has happened. I, <laughs> I, I ended up actually kind of forgetting about it. And even, even knowing Ant-Man and Giant Man and, and the Avengers and all this stuff as well as I do, uh, even as Scott Lang is, is saying, you know, I've only tried this once and nearly tore me in half and I can only do it for a few minutes. I'm still thinking, what? what's he? In a lab. Oh, oh, yeah, oh that. Oh, okay. All right. The, the movie had me to that extent that I had forgotten about some of the stuff that I that I've known, you know, for like a year and a half. Yeah. Same. Here. Yeah. It's it's a it's it's a great moment. Um, I, so one of the things that, that I think is one of the strongest scenes in the movie, but I also think it only, well, I can't say it only works because of, I feel it is so much better because of the other movies that we've seen with, uh, specifically with Tony Stark and Steve Rogers is their conversation at the conference room table fair, fairly early on, right? Where they're, where they're initially debating this idea of the Sokovia Accords and how they're going to regulate, uh, super powered people and it's you know it's not a bad conversation on its face but if you've seen the Captain America movies the Iron Man movies and the Avengers movies i feel like that scene is so much more uh deep and interesting and i felt like uh, that that was the moment where i thought okay i see why this is a different kind of movie storytelling and why they are getting like this is the power of having stacked all these stories together is you can do a scene like that and you know who these guys are. It's it's the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle of a series of Avengers scenes that take place around a conference room table. Yes. And there are many James. <laughs> now, I was just going to say, I mean, this is like the 13th movie, I think. Um, and, and they're moving to three movies a year as of 2017. Whew. And it's just going to get harder and harder, I think, to keep on top of all this stuff. Yeah. It's feeling more and more like Game of Thrones, except at least Game of Thrones has the decency to kill characters are off. They're, well, they're just <laughs> piling more on. Yeah. In the- they did kill off a lot yeah, of Starks in this. So. I do. I do these, want <laughs> these are fun compared to Game of Thrones. Well, I don't want to make this a Game of Thrones podcast. I've got that later today. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but, but what I would say is um, keep, let's keep in mind 
mind, uh, a lot of these actors, uh, their contracts run out after the next two Avengers movies. And so I feel like what we are seeing is we need to introduce characters now because these are right. the ones who are going to be around after the first wave of characters leave us because their contracts are up. So it does feel a little bit like you've got you've to introduce these new characters so you can uh, have something left after, you know, after Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans say, I'm done. Goodbye. I, I'm going to count my money. And let's introduce characters who look 13 so that we can keep mm-hmm. them going for 30 years. <laughs> Sign of cheap to a rookie entry or deal. Yeah. I really like the casting for Spider-Man, though. Like, I, I, it was, it's the first cinematic Spider-Man I've seen where I was like, yeah, I can plausibly believe this is, this is a kid in, this is a kid in New York, as opposed to this is a remarkably mature-looking high schooler who happens to bear a stunning resemblance to Tony. Well, he, he also sounds like he's from Queens too, and yeah. that's the first time they've done that. Yeah, even well, though he's his English. American accent. Mm-hmm. Sounds a hell of a lot better than a lot of ex- established, uh, grown English actors doing American accents. So good yeah. for him. Yeah. One of the things that I really liked here is is you have the consistency of the same screenwriters through all of the Captain America movies. And so even more so than just having all of the Marvel movies coalescing here, you've got this theme of of Cap learning to work with a team through all the movies, Right. In the first one, he's got the Howling Commandos. And and in the first one, he yearns to be part of the army, right? That's his whole thing is he wants to be in the army. In the second one, now he's he's learned to work with S.H.I.E.L.D. and everybody in the in the present day. And now in this one, you have the team kind of breaking up. and, and But he still needs people. He still needs that team. But now it's that warring instinct between his current team and his old team. Because of course Bucky was in the Howling Commandos, so it's it's this really nice theme. There's a there's a there's a reason this is a Captain America movie and not an Avengers yes. movie. Yes, it's also the logical right? follow-on to the Winter Soldier movie, and in, in yes. a way that the Avengers, although the ev- events of the Avengers are shoehorned in here as a as an example of why they need to regulate. Uh, you know, it, it's it's really a follow-on from the paranoia of uh, of Winter Soldier and how how Steve uh, learns that he kind of can't trust the people who who've been put in charge and that that is what drives him in this movie and so um even though it does feel like an avengers movie at many many points i i can see why this is a uh a logical third captain america movie and you know see i see the i see the arc slightly differently because in the first movie it's steve learning to trust himself especially after he's been zapped with the vita ray and in um and the roots for the distrust with S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Winter Soldier actually go back to the Avengers when he discovers that Fury has been lying to and they're developing the weapons. And I saw that the trust issue Steve Rogers works out in Winter Soldier is who can he trust? And the answer is, is that he's got, is that he's got Black Widow and he's got, um, Sam. And to his shock, there's the question of does he choose to trust Bucky? And so yeah, he puts his faith in, in Bucky at the very end of the movie. And in this one, the answer is Steve chooses to trust people overall, people and human nature over institutions. So I saw that as kind of the arc where it's sort of the evolution mm. of who Steve chooses to trust and why he chooses to trust them. And then they like lay it right out for you in that letter to Tony Stark in the final in the final sequence where he's like, I don't trust institutions. I choose to put my faith in people. And the fact that he gives Tony both a letter where he apologizes and explains himself and then gives him a phone with you can call me if you need me is him extending an olive branch. And I liked how that mirrored Tony's attempt to to explain his side of things and extend the olive branch to Steve in a way that he thought Steve would 
would want with that, that historic pen signing. Like that scene with the two of them earlier, where Tony's like, "It's a," and he he can't even get the words out that it's an olive branch. He just shoves the pen over and tries to explain himself. I thought that was like the most nuanced scene in their history together. Yes. And so, yeah. Yeah. So I really like the way it's mirrored and reversed in the end when Steve was like, look, I choose to trust people. And even though you are somehow in on this weird government prison thing and, um, and all that, I trust you to come through and do the right thing in the end. And here's my sign of faith. And that's a trust that, that Tony and, and weirdly enough, I'm sorry, I just keep going on. It sort of parallels the um, scene in Iron Man 2, I think it is, where Tony's watching old footage of his dad, and his dad finally turns to the camera and says, Tony, I'm doing this for you. I'm trusting you with my life's work. This is what we're doing. And once again, it's it's somebody who Tony wanted to earn trust and affection from, who finally gives it to him, like kind of at a distance. But the point is, is he gets it. I completely agree. The, the only thing that I'd have to add is I like that in, in maintaining Steve's arc, we get touches like toward the end of Civil War, uh, Steve saying, I could do this all day, going all the way back to the beginning of the first movie. And and I feel like what to, we to get... To a bully. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. And what, what we get overall in terms of his arc, where we leave him at the end of this movie is for me the fully formed Captain America that I know that, you know, I consider this is this is your this is this is the uh, the the the, uh, the the final form of Captain America, as it were. This is this is the Captain America that we're going to get from here on as a constant. Um, and, and I'm totally OK with us not getting a whole ton of, you know, developing Steve Rogers more and more and more going forward and letting him be a constant that we build other characters around. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the movie was a little tight on the heavy on the Christ imagery at times because you've got, well, it did because that's no, that scene where he goes and grabs the helicopter and you get the beauty shot of his arms. Like, tell me that's not crucifixion imagery. And then, you know, he calls people, he calls people to him more or less. And he extends <laughs> mercy to people who don't deserve it, like Wanda. And then he's forgiving people over and over again. And he's sacrificing himself for Bucky. And I was like, wow, you, you really... Like the only other superhero that 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 I've seen this much explicit Christ imagery with is Superman. Is Superman. Well, and and yeah. when when Sharon Carter brings him all of his stuff and sings, everything's all right, everything's fine. <laughs> no musical theater. No, no so musical theater. It's I, was, I was just quoting. I mean, that was in the movie. I would I would I would put it to the panel. That was in the movie. So yeah. the um, I, I think I I think talking about Superman as a parallel is interesting. And we're not going to talk about uh, Batman versus Superman, but I I do think that Captain America has the same challenge. Challenges a character that Superman has, which is in many ways and, and in many sort of traditional portrayals, they're perfect and smiley and everybody loves them and they're all about goodness and they they choose goodness at all times. And it's hard, I think, to draw uh, some interesting distinctions in a character like that. And I, I am impressed with how they've handled it with uh, Steve Rogers in the Marvel movies, where he's a much more interesting character than I think I expected him to be when when they made the first Captain America movie which I thought would be kind of boring and actually turned out to be pretty good. And it's, a, I, I, you know, I, credit to Chris Evans and credit to the writers and, and the producers of these movies that he's interesting because he is. And that's not, that's not a given and that's not easy, I think. Captain America actually is probably my the one thing that I didn't like about this movie about huh. what runs through it, uh, <laughs> and I and this is and I liked the first two Captain America movies. I think they're probably my favorite of all the Avengers movies. Yeah, I agree. But I I just I find that you know the 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 way that Marvel's sort of like you know leaking in real world events into their Marvel universe 
And and this what this movie said to me is that basically America in the form of Captain America goes it alone because they think they know what's best. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know what? Captain America is actually wrong on this one. You know, he's he he is he is breaking up the team. He's causing a lot more damage than he thinks. And at the very end, he basically says, "Hey, I'm still cool though. Uh, you know, we can all still be friends and everything." And it's almost like that's kind of like what America does in foreign policy. This might be my Canadian. He is Captain America, Stephen. Come on, he is Captain America. You know. This special episode of The Incomparable brought to you by Casper. Casper mattresses are available for a re- quite a reasonable price. You get them on the internet. I've been sleeping on one for a while. It's very comfortable. But one of the most amazing things about Casper is how they sell it. It is sold on the internet. You place an order on the internet and it comes to your door uh, kind of vacuum sealed in a surprisingly small box. The prices are good. Mattresses often cost over $1,500. Casper, $500 for twin, $600 twin extra long, $750 for full, $850 for queen, and $950 for king. So you get it in this box and you open it up and it sort of whooshes open and sucks in air and becomes its full-sized mattress. And uh, this is the beauty part. If you were shopping for a traditional mattress at a mattress store, you'd lay down on it for a minute or two and try to pretend that you had been on it for eight hours. Um, And would that really tell you what it feels like to sleep on that mattress? You're really taking a risk there, but you don't have a risk with the Casper mattress because it comes to your door, you open it out of the box, you sleep on it. You can sleep on it for up to 100 nights. That's right, 100 nights. And if you don't like it, you get to send it back for free and Casper will refund your money. So they're very confident that you'll that you'll love it. I I definitely love mine. There's no way I was going to send mine back. And so I think that takes a lot of the, the fear out of buying a mattress on the internet. And then you get to not go to those mattress stores, which are no fun. Uh, one of the reasons the Casper mattress is also special is its special uh, construction. It is made of a couple of different types of foams. It's got a springy latex foam as well as a supportive memory foam underneath. These create an award winning sleep service. They have just the right sink, just the right bounce. Definitely feels very good. And it's made in the USA. So that's cool too. You can get $50 off. The the prices are already reasonable, but you can get $50 off toward any Casper mattress purchase. Go to casper.com slash Snell, my last name, and use code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. 100 nights of trying a Casper mattress to make sure that you like it. And if you want, you can throw in a very nice pillow and some super soft sheets. I bought those myself because I heard they were really good and they're really good too. So check it all out. Casper.com slash Snell. Thank you to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. Let's talk about the the the, the two sides here and, and, and their takes on this. And I, I will also say the real world, like Stephen said, the real world bleeding in. I think beyond a certain point, it's dangerous to get too real with these movies because I, I think uh, what they've done is sort of gotten slightly real with it. And if they took it to the full extent, it would kind of make no sense because you would really need laws and things and structures to control superheroes. And for quite frankly, at that point, you're not watching Marvel superheroes anymore. You're watching kind of militarized 
powered people and that's a very different kind of story so they're, they're doing a light touch on it uh, so what we get is th- this real uh, split between the idea that the superpowered people should sort of do what they want because they know what was was right which I agree with Stephen that's a little sinister right because it is essentially saying we know what's best we're the most powerful creatures on earth and we're going to be in charge of what we do and then you've got the other side which is which is Tony and the government and uh, and the guy from uh, from that movie the the Incredible Hulk movie that nobody saw um, <laughs> saying <laughs> Ross yeah, yeah General Ross who's now Secretary Ross say, saying we, we trust the people in the government which is also kind of hilarious given that the uh, the last shadowy international consortium that ran superheroes tried to nuke New York City uh, that but no 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 totally and then Hydra was inside Shield but no no this time for sure we're going to be fine so we should structure it that way I don't think the, either of them are great choices but it is interesting those are the choices and that uh, it's a switcheroo and that Steve Mr. Uh, I'm representing the uh, the establishment is the rebel here and Tony because he's racked by guilt I guess uh, has decided that it's time to for him to grow up and be part of the the system so that what 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 did what did y'all think of the of that core that core battle between uh, the registration side and the we're gonna go it our own way side one of the things I thought was interesting that they lost from the original comics was the whole stuff about um, giving up your secret identity, which was one of the reasons I think Captain America was against it for the whole civil liberties aspect of that. And there was the big moment where um, Spider-Man, you know, reveals his identity on national TV. And I think once they took that away, I was kind of... um, I don't know. I was very much on Captain America's side for most of the movie. And I thought um, Tony Stark was being an ass for most of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Well, that's just normal for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, more so. Because, I mean, I, I generally have, you know, I like him in all the other movies. And in this movie, I didn't really like him. And a lot of the decisions he made throughout the movie, I was just complaining about. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting way that they 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 kind of because people also took different sides in this than they did in the comics because Vision and T'Challa were on Steve Rogers' side in the comic and things like that. So I don't know if they just wanted to get it exactly balanced. Yeah, so I think they, they did. <laughs> that was six perfect. on each Probably. side, and you know, one woman on each side just to be careful. And oh, jeez! Like <laughs> I thought it was interesting to see how they broke down who was on which side. Because and I was thinking about this yesterday when when because I was trying to puzzle I was like why would so and so and I thought well it actually what it comes down to is um it's a belief in it, it's a belief in um chaotic good versus lawful good if that makes sense <laughs> well it is because if you look at who's on Tony's side you have someone like Vision um, who seems to be somebody who's like, yeah, look, we have to uphold the principle of the matter. The principle is something that always applies no matter the circumstances. And um, you have Natasha, who in Avengers is like, I have a lot of red in my ledger. And, you know, because these movies, none of these movies are are called Black Widow works out her issues. um, We don't get a whole lot of Natasha and her ledger balancing, but that was a core part of her character introduced. And I figured this was more of her balancing, especially since she watched... um, King T'Chaka died like right in front of her and you have T'Challa who's like look any side of the Winter Soldier is on I'm going to be on the exactly the opposite side also you know I come from a, com- a country that has these really strict codes 
And on the other side, you have Hawkeye, who is pretty much the definition of conditional morality. And, you know, Scott Lang, who was established in his own movie as having a moral code that's pretty situational, which is I'm going to I'm going to stand up for what I think is right, even if it costs me, you know, um, and then you have Steve, who's who's all know some principles are worth fighting for, even if they go against what society does at the time. So it comes down to people who are much more comfortable with their own definition of morality versus those who are like, listen, we live in a society. Societies have rules. <laughs> and, well, and Black Widow yeah. during mm-hmm. the run of the movie, I thought, really? Like, I get that she's got this like I'm a reformed bad guy, essentially. And so I'm I'm sort of trying to be good. So I'm trying to stick with the program. But I thought, yeah, but did you not see that the the, the Winter Soldier movie? You're totally like, <laughs> did you not learn anything from that movie you were in? And uh, and then there's the moment. And then I realized, oh, well, th- that's why it's like that is so that she has that moment where she lets them go because she actually is, you know, she's going along, but only so far, which is which is interesting that, that uh, some of, that a lot of the people who are with Tony Stark in this and, and uh, Black Panther fits into this, too, are kind of not in it for his reasons and are not really as committed to it. Uh, they're just kind of going along. Also, the reason I love that Spider-Man is so young is, holy crap, Tony, child soldiers, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, like that, and that's something that should be brought up. Um, and I think it, it, it has come up in the comics from time to time, too, when you have somebody who's genuinely pretty young. But you have to look at this way. Tony Stark had to make his case by leaning on his best friend, by appealing to, to Black Widow's whole, I would just like the group to stay together. Does it really matter how they get there? Because that's the question she asks earlier. Um, somebody with like a revenge thing going on. Um, somebody who whose head is quite is is off in the clouds because made of gems and hand waving, and um, and a child whom he impresses and throws technology at. And um, I'm not saying that his side is wrong because I can actually see a lot of Tony's arguments, but. Um, I do think it's interesting how his side was recruited as opposed to Captain America, where, you know, you have her more like, well, this is dumb and terrible and it's going to end badly. But what the heck? We love Steve. <laughs> it really seemed like it was a cult of personality on his side. Like they were all just like, yep, we'll we'll follow him wherever he goes. And and yeah, I guess I had a little trouble just I, I love the moral dilemma that the movie poses, but I didn't quite buy like you said, everybody on either side of it, it was almost like they just rolled dice and was like, okay, we're going to put you over here and you over there because that's going to make the poster look really good. If I had, I mean, if they had kept the, the thing and I never read the comics, so I didn't know about the uh, the forcing people to reveal their secret identities. I feel like that would have made it so much easier for me to buy in to the the idea that Captain America was, was more sort of on the right side. But I, I do kind of appreciate that the movie... It's it's from his perspective. It's it's got his name in the title, but I don't think it came down super strongly on either side of the argument. I think there were a lot of people that came out of the movie saying Steve is a complete dick and he was wrong about this and and you know, I'm not going to say either of those any of those people are wrong. I just found his scenes mostly really boring because I did not care about Bucky. I didn't care about his friendship with Bucky. I wished it had been more like an Avengers movie because I just wanted to see people, you know, quipping and, and bouncing off of each other. I just I ended up getting kind of bored with the the moral conceit at the middle of the movie. How you feel about Bucky also is going to inform how you feel about Steve's stand here. Because in the end, I I would argue that Steve, while principled, and he, he says it in that conference room scene with Tony early on, 
he loses it's, it. It's really he's doing it for his friend, and he knows that his friend, or he feels certain that his friend is wrongfully accused, and he knows there's going to be a rush to judgment, and he's probably going to get killed. And so, on one level, he's got principles. On another level, he is just reacting to this, what turns out to be a real setup from uh, from Zemo, who has has framed him in order to create this. This, and we'll get to Zemo. There's not a lot to say about him. He's sort of not really <laughs> there for any reason, but um, other than to start the ball rolling and to stop the ball rolling at the end. So, uh, but but I do feel like you know one of these things is that it's really all hanging on Steve's relationship with Bucky because you know ultimately that's why he's doing this is to save him, who's a person who's innocent of this one particular crime and wrongfully accused. You can't deny the the loads of people who just want to see those two beautiful boys kiss. <laughs> I'm glad you said it so I didn't have to. <laughs> That's the thing about the teams, though, is that, you know, when you look at Tony's side, it's all these people he's sort of recruited or that, you know, like with Rhodey, best friends, right? Or with the vision that he kind of hand waved into existence. Yeah, the vision comes from a computer program that's programmed to serve Tony Stark, right? And although he's right. independent now, you got to Yeah, I mean, he's sort of that's right. what he's so for. it's, it's yeah. sort of a loose. And you know, Spider Man. Well, it's like you know, you guys are awesome. You guys are superheroes, and and oh, you made he's me this really new super suit, right? He's a child. On, that's the thing. On on the other side, you have people who have who have come together as a team partly because. They're defending themselves. They're under attack and they know they're not bad people. I mean, in this, you know, Bucky, whatever. But, uh, you know, you have Scarlet Witch who who wasn't meaning to do anything. I mean, she was trying to protect the, as many people as possible. Her thing wasn't that she blew up the building. It's that, you know, uh, the guy she was trying to keep from blowing up all the people on the ground is really who blew up the building. Right. You know, and and. You know, and, and then you have Scott Lang, who isn't guilty of anything here until they start acting. But, you know, again, he's he understands he gets it right. Uh, he understands being persecuted. And and so these are these are people coming together to fight for their lives. Whereas on the other side, you have Tony's team of people who are there to serve Tony, uh, which I thought was sort of an interesting balance. But the, the thing with Natasha Turning is she has a, a background in espionage. She knows things are sometimes more complicated than black and white. And she's also been persecuted. So when she makes that turn and lets uh, Cap and Bucky go, that's when she's she sort of jumps to the other side with them. She gets it, uh, which, again, I thought was an interesting turn. In the comics, it's Spider-Man who goes over to the other side as well. Right. Mm. Um, but I mean, there's a certain irony in the U.S. government being worried about collateral damage from conflicts, and yeah. it's just like you know, she, okay, so Scarlet Witch killed twelve people uh, and saved six hundred or something, and you know, nobody sort of well, I mean, Cap points this out, you know, uh, when he's talking to her early in the film, but yeah, it's like nobody's sort of focusing on the fact that they have saved you know, the world uh, multiple times. Right. The needs of the many outweigh the... Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's because she killed big deal people. And I hate to sound cynical, but there's so much emphasis put on, these are Wakandans who were killed. And, um, and the idea being that, you know, it's kind of a big deal for Wakandans to go outside their border. And so one of the questions that is kind of percolating around is, would people be that worked up over it if it were, you know, just a bunch of, you know, randos from, from Lagos? <laughs> um, 
what uh well and, and that comes back this is one of the reasons i i've heard criticism and read it that that zemo is is kind of eh, as a villain or whatever but i think one of the reasons i really enjoyed him and it's not just because i enjoy the the actor but I like how it draws a really clear line with this is how people become radicalized. Like they lose everything. They lose everything. They lose their home and it's in the face of a seemingly indifferent world. And they take a look and they're like, how am I going to fix this? Um, and I was actually kind of thrilled to be frank that they put a white face to radical radicalization here. Like it's just a, a white European dude who has decided that, okay, this bunch of superpowered beings <clears throat> lifted up my country, blew it to smithereens, killed my entire family how do I solve this problem? And his answer, and frankly, he did succeed. His answer was, I'm just going to have the Avengers take themselves apart. Boom. End of story. And to me, the, the, the radicalization of the character and then the subtle way by which he managed to get everything that he wanted to get done done, I think it's a pretty quietly powerful thing, which is kind of remarkable in a movie like this, which is otherwise very big and dumb and loud. And, and I mean that in a good way. Like, you know, you have a lot of exploding helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> And then you and and you have super soldiers living in you know sleeping in tanks in Siberia and all this other crazy stuff. And then you have a guy who, at the end of the day, is, you know, I just wanted to get to the point where the Avengers couldn't work together effectively as a team because then they can't go through another country in the air. And that happened. He won. Team Lisa. <laughs> I I have a problem with the way that the, that the movie is engineered because I don't I don't buy a lot of the, uh, yeah. I mean, the idea that. Uh, uh, oh, Scarlet Witch is terrible because those people died when, you know, yeah, but w she was trying to save them. And, oh, well, people, some people died in Sokovia. It's like, yeah, sorry that although we saved millions of people and and ultimately the world, some people did die. So I guess we're terrible people for doing that. I, quite honestly, I, not that that couldn't happen, I think, realistically, but the fact that the characters take on that guilt, I thought was kind of ludicrous. And, and I'm going to I'm going to single it out here because talk about a, 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 a very good actress who has made some really interesting appearances in uh, as new characters in uh, genre before, especially when she breaks <laughs> her little ships in Star Trek First Contact. But mm -hmm. uh, the Alfred Woodard uh, character here, I, ha I hated it. Because she's yeah, in one yes. scene, and all she does is go, shame, I lost a child, shame, which is essentially what Zemo does, too, which is, I'm mm -hmm. really angry because yeah. my family died, and so I'm going to destroy you. And I I'm sorry, I thought it was stupid, because, and I like mm -hmm. the movie a lot, but yes. I thought all of these motivations, they're just there to set up the action, and they, I, I just didn't buy them. I did, I did not believe that, that, hey, Tony Stark, I know you worked really hard to try and save as many people as possible, but guess what? You're not perfect. Somebody died. So you're a jerk. It's like, no, you need to be able to say, and maybe they're trying to say that I didn't believe for a minute that Tony Stark, like, took that as that was the straw that broke, broke the camel's back. And he's like, oh, God, you're right. I just can't do this anymore. No, he's like, no, this lady is right. We are terrible because some people died when we saved the entire world. And like and that and so so I don't blame Tony Stark for that. I blame the movie for that, because I, I just don't think that it 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 follows from there. I can I can see it as as something that is like throwing gasoline on an already burning fire where he's just come off of Age of Ultron being theoretically responsible for potentially an extinction level event for the planet. And on top of that, his girlfriend broke up with him. Yeah, no, not enough talk about Ultron, actually. And I thought that was that was a stronger yeah. argument is I wanted that mm -hmm. that fiery scene where somebody like Tony says, hey, 
what I just said, right? Hey, we saved almost everybody and we saved the entire world and had somebody throw him back in his face and said, you created the problem. It's your fault that it even happened. And nobody says yeah, that. No yeah, wh- why are there not people marching in the streets? Why is nobody marching in the streets and demanding him being brought in front of a war crimes trial? That's what I don't get. That is one of the the, the core flaws of like the last two movies. And was like, okay, now that the crazy robot who lifted the entire country in the air is vanquished to Ray. And like literally nobody has said, okay, where did the robot come from? from to begin with yeah and and if they had had that marching in the streets if they had had more of the stress of breaking up with pepper if they had all of those things working on tony in in the film not in our head cannons Mm -hmm. then tony would have been a little bit more coherent in this and the ending would have been more coherent I think that this is a case where it's <laughs> this movie is trying to walk the line between being a movie on its own and being a movie that's just an installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. So I think they, they maybe try to downplay all of the references to Age of Ultron in hopes that it wouldn't, quote unquote, confuse people who were coming in and just seeing this movie or people like me who had almost entirely forgotten Age of yep. Ultron by the time <laughs> this movie started. Well, but then it shouldn't be the Sokovia Accords, right? I, I feel like that's right. a mistake exactly. here yep. is that you can't have like the whole big giant piece of paper that nobody has known about in advance but apparently has been agreed to by everybody in the UN by the way that would never happen everybody should be aware of it already <laughs> but and have and call it Sokovia so you're hanging it right on the last Avengers movie um, and and yet so then why do we even have the scene with the Scarlet Witch like you could have hung it all on the scene with the Scarlet Witch I suppose right you were irresponsible mm-hmm. but instead they're like in like you said Erica they're walking that they're trying to walk that line but I don't think they're they do a very failing. good job <laughs> yeah, yeah. no they fell off the line totally Yep. No, and it's ridiculous because the Scarlet Witch, if you take a look at her in combat, she she saved like you point out, she saves a ton of people on the ground in Lagos, and she saves saves Steve Rogers' life, and she's and she's horrified mostly because I think what tends to get lost here is this is a young woman with fairly severe PTSD who grew up in a war zone, whose brother has been dead for less than a year in another massive battle, and who has been thrown back on, onto the field as a warrior herself. So you've got somebody who has considerable baggage. She saves a teammate's life and saves a ton of people and gets castigated as a villain in the media. And then the second time we see her in battle, she actually interferes between the Clint Black Widow thing because she tells him, you're pulling your punches. And she saves her teammate there, too. Like, I, it, it, it irritated me how, how, how she ended up being the, 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 the plot line's punching bag when, in fact, this is somebody who has, has simply done nothing wrong and has she's, tried to... She's the, most, she's the most interesting character in the whole movie, and she gets very little to do. And she's the one who had the big moral flip in Ultron, too. When she finally realized what was going on, yeah. she began working against it. and she has, she's, she's a lady. She's a lady. We don't want to put her, give her too much screen time. <laughs> no. She's been atoning for her actions for God knows how long through this entire arc. And I feel like that, I feel like that kind of got lost here. And instead it was like, oh, look, a hot topic teenager who waves her hands around when that's absolutely not who, who, who they've built Wanda up to be. And part of it is you did have a movie that was overstuffed with tons and tons of characters. So you couldn't give the same time to everybody. And you kind of had to grab these context clues and put them together with previous movies like, you know, Black Widow and her Red Ledger. And so on and so forth. But I feel like Scarlet Witch was really poor, was poorly served by the by the plotting here. I think that she was well served in a bunch of scenes in this movie, though. I, I think her scene with Vision is really interesting. And of course, if you read the comics, I did lean over to my wife during the movie and said, they're married in the comics. Right. And Vision, oh, no, by the I way, Vision rocking the sweater 
awesome. Uh, I love that. That was so great. But I think she, I think Wanda does does well in that scene. I and also I know this is just a mechanical thing, but her powers are actually defined in this movie. In Age of Ultron, it's like, what does she do? I don't know. She waves her hands and things happen, and we don't she's really know. Weird. Um, and then this one is she's like she moves things around. She's very telekinetic. Maybe there's other stuff too. But it's like ah, uh, I get I get how she fights. I get how she works. She can make a tornado. Okay, great, right? And I think that's better for her too because you know she's a she's a plot mechanism in most of age of ultron and here they are at least setting down a few scenes where you get a sense of who she is and uh how she's sort of uh figuring out like where she fits and i i did i did appreciate that i think one of the things this movie does fairly well is uh given how many characters there are to service i think it does a pretty decent job of telling some little stories. Some of the characters get nothing like Hawkeye gets a couple of lines and that's fine. He it's got Hawkeye. more lines in this one than he did like the last two movies he's been put together. <laughs> I was actually kind of like surprised that they well, we saw him at home. Much. We saw his whole family in age of Ultron. Right. So it's, it's, yeah. you know, here he doesn't, we don't need that of, of, of him, but I think that some of the other characters got enough. And, and that's, that's to me why this movie at, at more than two hours didn't feel like, it like some of the movies that are totally overstuffed with heroes and villains where it's like we have five villains now and they all it, it felt more like uh I don't know because there were so many characters like they they it, it's long because they will take their time to tell a little bit about this character and a little bit about that character and which you kind of have to do right because this is again more of like a big TV show yeah they, yeah, they minimalize the villain uh it, you know they they a lesser movie I suppose would have like made a huge villain for these two but I suppose the the main thrust of this whole movie is the conflict between the heroes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I liked I liked that we actually got got Wanda, Natasha, and, and Sharon Carter able to to be uh, not variations on the same generic female character, which is something that has happened a bit in the Marvel movies, with the noted exception being Thor: The Dark World, which is the universally maligned movie that, of all things, has four distinct. Uh, female characters that have more agency and more to do than they do throughout the entire rest of the series. Um, and, and I think that, I think that, uh, that Sharon, Wanda and Natasha not having maybe as much screen time as, as, as even I would have, uh, wanted, even though I think they're, they're decently served, better served than other overstuffed superhero movies with women in them. Um, I, I, you know, I, I feel like that balance is going to change now that Ike Perlmutter isn't calling the shots over the movies anymore. And we can actually have Kevin Feige saying, yeah, we definitely want to do a Black Widow movie and not say, you know, we would love to, but and then having to leave an ellipsis on it because, you know, the guy in charge doesn't want girls toys and doesn't think girl centric movies actually sell. I, I feel like we'll see we'll see the balance uh, move toward actual balance finally. Uh, and, and this is this is kind of the beginning of it. Uh, is is seeing some equal time given you know i'm 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 assuming that we'll see um we'll see some of that come out of ant-man and the wasp uh which i i think just added sharon stone to the cast um why not she can have a scene with michael douglas then so (laughs) oh god so 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 you can have the 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 true the true extended marvel interconnected universe that also includes only you where um where aunt may follows tony stark to italy no stop no Oh, oh, no. Whiplash uh, has a relationship. Somebody with reboot Moises. He's uh. <laughs> <laughs> what what I what I loved about the pacing in this is that it didn't feel like an overstuffed movie to me. It felt like when you went to the comic book store and you bought like five or six comics and you sat down and you just binged through all of them. 
it it breaks down into these very nice scenes and set pieces and character moments and it just it felt like i was reading a set of comic books all at once in a good way yeah mm-hmm. yeah it was just that the comic books that i cared the least about were the ones that the movie was titled after and following <laughs> right. the good news is if you yeah. wait long enough it's like it's like uh it's like weather right wait long enough and you'll just get something else and 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 this, in this yeah. movie it's like literally if you wait long enough it will come around it's it, you know not to bring it back to game of thrones for a second but that is this sort of storytelling right which is we've got seven stories and we're going to tell you little bits of each and keep rotating among them and they intersect because it, there is an overarching story here unlike game of thrones where they they almost never intersect um but right so I, I i feel like that that's an advantage in a way it's like look if this scene bores you don't worry there's going to be a scene with you know with black panther coming up and then after that we're gonna we're gonna go to uh spider-man and you know it's like all right there's something new coming down the road if this scene bores you if you really don't like the berlin airport this is the movie for you uh, it's like Leipzig, I think. Uh, but yeah, whatever. It's German airports shot in Atlanta, apparently, because this movie was shot in Atlanta. It's like Germany. When I saw this, I thought less of the Civil War comics because basically they share a name and, and that's it. But um, there's a series that took place in the late 90s, um, Stormwatch, where the premise was that the United Nations did, in fact, deploy superhero teams. And the problem comes, of course, when the organization that deploys the teams becomes corrupt. And so when they of whipped course. out the Soko- and well, and when, they whipped, when they whipped out the Sokovia Accords, and they're like, "Yeah, you guys will be a team, and a panel will decide where to deploy you, and when to deploy you, and how to deploy you." I was like, "Holy crap! This is Stormwatch all over again." Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't make the Civil War. They made Stormwatch. Grant Morrison should sue. Right. <laughs> the, I'm, it's the uh, and that's that the reality thing too, which again, you know, I think, yeah, try to try to don't look at it too much because the, the what is the I mean, seriously, the last Captain America told us what happens, and the first Avengers movie told us what happens when the gr- international group is in charge, which is they become corrupt and kill everybody. So well, don't plus do that. The model UN nerd in me got distracted by wondering, you know, exactly. Because it'd be like, America's got an arms race going on with all their superpowered beings. And this movie kind of raises for me, but doesn't answer the question. So where are all the other metahumans? Why is the U.S. metahumans that go tromping all over the yeah, world? Yeah, uh, where, you know, where, where, where does Putin have some superheroes, right? <laughs> well, you know, you've got so you've got T'Challa's, who is apparently the latest in a long line of people who have put on panther suits and protect this reclusive African nation within the MCU itself. Like one of the things that like the minute you bring in the UN and oh, it's a whole wide world. And I thought if it's a whole wide world, how come it is that the only people who keep making trouble in it are either the Avengers who are based out of the U S or any one of a raft of, of, of Eastern European villain types who are trying to go up against the Avengers. Like why have we not seen any action anywhere else? And if the UN is involved, why have we not been subject to, <laughs> Sorry, to a committee meeting where where you see you know somebody from like Brazil screaming about the superhero. Cat. Exactly, this Canadian echoes your sentiment, Lisa. I, well, I was I was thinking like, well, we got something really bad going on in Syria, so let's send the Avengers. Yes, we all agree, and the and then the Russian uh, person on the Security Council goes, no, we use our veto here, and it's like, oh, sorry, can't send them. 
when they were going to when it, when they faked us out and made it like they were going to reawaken those five Soviet super soldiers, I thought, oh, my God, we're getting the Red Guard. And which one of these is going to turn into a giant uh, bear? That was a and nice. And then we're going to have Ursa Major, for th- God's sake. I thought that was a nice plot twist. And, and, and I guess we should talk about Zemo a little bit. We mentioned him a little that his motivation here is revenge because his uh, family was in Sokovia and they died. And his his goal is not to take over the world or anything like that. It is literally just to kind of undercut the superheroes and and make them turn against each other as much as possible and just make life worse for them as much as he can and i really did i you know he's not supposed to be the big villain the 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 conflict is between the characters he's just a catalyst more than anything else and a reason to get them on a plane to go where they need to go um but i really liked that twist that we are you know we're led down the path of like oh he's this is his game plan he's going to unearth the old winter soldiers and no no, he hates them and thinks they're dangerous and kills yeah. them all. I thought that was clever. When they had the when they had the flashback of uh, of the five other Winter Soldiers fighting everyone, and I didn't recognize any of the actors. I thought <laughs> they're not going to make. They're it not going to make it. The <laughs> I thought the one guy. They lingered on the they lingered on the one guy, and I thought, ooh, that guy. That's going to be the guy. And then it wasn't. No, they were all dead. The thing that bothered me was Zemo's plan was so complicated and yeah. convoluted to get all the pieces in the right place to get basically them there right at the end to have that fight. Yeah, to get Tony to make the decision to come to Siberia so he could play him the videotape. Yeah, exactly. It it was was like like he had written a whole series of interconnected comic books to lead everybody to... Well, Tony also had a FedEx package delivered by Stan Lee that was probably waiting for him back at his home base with a videotape of the same thing, like cover all your bases maybe for Zemo. Yeah, well, it came by UPS, so it was a couple of days late. Or, or if you're an intelligence agent on a kill squad like this dude was, he's like, all right, what are the levers that you push on these people? Yeah. And it would not be hard to think, okay, Tony Stark, plutocrat who's got PTSD from watching a platoon get blown up saving him, um, then gets held as a prisoner of war and then has survivor guilt from that and then gets thrown into saving the world a few more times. It seems like it's pretty obvious that Tony Stark at this point could could honestly use like a couple months off in some pretty intensive therapy. You know, yeah. maybe crafts therapy. <laughs> well, clear, clearly Zemo's entire plan, although he does end up showing him the videotape in Siberia, Zemo's plan is really he he everything he does is to get access to the footage of Tony Stark's uh, parents being killed by by the Winter Soldier. And so ultimately, whether it's there or somewhere else, like I, I'm, I'm kind of serious, like he was going to see that footage at some point, and and Zemo knows that that is going to put him at. Uh, at odds with Cap, and that's what he wants to do. That's ultimately that's it. Really, is like I know that this happened. So that's going to be the trigger for Tony. The way the the brainwashing code book is for Bucky. <laughs> ah. that's that's going to rewire his brain as soon as he sees it. Yeah, and it did. I liked the the divergence the divergence from the traditional Baron Zemo, uh, the the way that he appeared in the comics because we we actually got something that wasn't effectively uh, you know the red skull in a pink jumpsuit yeah yeah a little another super not interesting supervillain yeah well I don't know I think progressive red skull is super interesting <laughs> <laughs> I I did love at the end that that it wasn't you killed my parents it's he killed my mom. Right. That's what it is. It's not it's not about Howard. It's about his mom. Yeah, that's true, too. That's that, that's true. Hey, how'd everybody th- feel of uh, having uh, super, super young Robert Downey Jr. at the beginning of the movie? Oh, I that don't was care. so weird. That was Creepy so weird. and wrong. I, I thought it was slightly <laughs> it was better than, you know, the, the sort of Tron legacy type uh, young oh, yeah. people. 
Um, and I thought it was a bit better maybe than the, um, the Ant-Man stuff, but it just, I don't know. There's something about it. I mean, it is the uncanny Valley thing. It is just, it's just off. I liked it, but they did have, give themselves an out, right? Which is like, oh, but this is actually just a hologram or something that he's showing on in his Ted talk. I was yeah. waiting for the rest of the cast of Less Than Zero and Back to School to come bouncing in, too. It, it's not fair, by the way. Using holograms in your TED Talk, totally not fair to the other presenters. It wasn't a TED Talk. It was an MIT talk. <laughs> what I'd be curious about is how somebody who did not actually watch Robert Downey Jr. on screen when he was in their 20s, like how they regarded this and reflected this. Because when My 14-year-old was... went bananas for it. Well, see, this is the thing. is Because when I when the whole time I was watching it, I was trying to figure out where they were going to... Like, I, I was like, did they base the footage off of Home for the Holidays? Did they base it off of one of the other early 90s movies? I was trying to figure out where they... Where they where they pulled the library of compositing images because I can remember seeing Robert Downey Jr. in theaters at that age. And then I thought, well, if I didn't know any of this, if I, if I were 20 years younger, would this sit differently on my eyes? Like, is this only weird to me because I remember him as a younger person, you know? And I think that's a question that we're probably gonna be asking a lot in the next few years. And and one thing that was interesting is comparing this to Ant-Man last year with Ant-Man. Now, you know, Michael Douglas, acting for years and all that when when young michael douglas walked in almost the entire room gasped yeah oh yeah and and with this not much of a reaction and it was it was still you know full of adults so it's not like it was just kids it wasn't you know but it was just sort of like oh of course tony stark would have young tony stark yeah sure so so when with his ted talk thing well not ted talk um he's he's got this like what was it so he had these glasses which seemed to be reading his mind to project a scene onto a pre-existing template of a like matte piano and various other things on the set and he said um it's a device for hijacking the hippocampus to clear traumatic memories and i thought oh he's built this you know 100 million dollar device for uh, that will help with it's, traumatic yeah. memories that will be mm-hmm. perfect for bucky later this will definitely 100 percent come up <laughs> and then they just didn't mention it at all no. and it wasn't clear what it was whether he was just like he just wanted to see what this scene and make a fake version in the holodeck so that he yeah. could it, uh, it was chekhov's dead parents basically yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> i mean it was i thought it was clear that the winter soldier had killed his parents from like the first or second scene of the i agree film. Oh, so yeah. it wasn't a huge surprise on yeah. that on that topic when did captain america find out about this because he knows exactly when tony confronts him about it he said he didn't know he knew that i think he was implying that he knew that his parents had been killed and it wasn't an accident and hydro was responsible but he didn't know it was bucky at that point until he found out and yeah he probably didn't want to tell tony because uh you don't want to find out that your parents were murdered by hydra can we talk about the new characters? Um, I want to talk about Spider-Man, but why don't we start with uh, Black Panther? Uh, what do people think of uh, of uh, the Black Panther, who we, we see for the first time here? And he's he's getting a movie, but Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, the king of Wakanda. One of my one of my favorite comic series that got me back into comics in high school was the Black Panther run written by Christopher Priest, a.k.a. Priest, a.k.a. Jim Owsley. And the, the 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 feel of of T'Challa and T'Chaka, uh, and the whole Black Panther portion of the Marvel universe feels like it is very brilliantly taken directly from from uh, from from that as inspiration down to Everett K. Ross, who's yeah, a little bit different. 
maybe a little bit different. Um, but but T'Challa himself just showed up on the screen right off the page using the best materials available. I couldn't be more happy. The, I liked it. I liked everything about it. The only thing that bothered me slightly was the like the, the little musical sting that they used, the kind of like me too. pan flute noise. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, we, we get it. He's By the he's, way, he is know, from Africa. He yeah. is from yeah. Africa. We would just like to point this out with the music in case you hadn't picked up on it. <laughs> The, the the sort of mystical African nature of it was being pushed a bit hard, but I'm not familiar with the comics. So I don't know how, um, whether they were just pulling that straight from the page, but it was just that one musical note really was the entire thing that bothered me. Yeah, I also have not read any of the comics, but now I am very interested in this mm. character. So how how you know however faithful they were or weren't, I thought it really worked on the screen. I thought uh, Bozeman's performance was was fantastic, and yeah, I'm interested in seeing where this character goes. David, you said like make the movie now, right? It's it's not it's yeah. not for two years. I think that the Black Panther movie comes out. Nope, and I want it this weekend. Yeah. I'm mm. ready. Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought I thought yeah. Chadwick Boseman's performance is fantastic. I love that we see him first. You know, we first we see him as the prince in relation to his father. Uh, we 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 see that he is a you know he is a formidable person, and then we're like, oh, and he has a cat costume with uh, vibranium claws, and he runs around. It's like I, I liked that sequence of of l- l- getting to know who he was. And as a longtime comic reader, I'm familiar with the character, but I also really enjoyed uh, my family. Uh, especially, I think my son probably knew, but but my wife and my daughter didn't know, and they were like, "He's awesome. Who is that? What is that? Who is that guy?" Right? Um, and 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 I think a lot of audience members are like Erica too, where where it's like, I don't know anything about this guy, but he seems really great, right? I mean, like you could see him being having his own movie. It doesn't. It's not one of those. Oh, they're trying a little hard here. It's like, no, I want to see that movie with that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's no box checking about it too. You've got you've got him as a different presence as a black superhero in addition to Falcon, in addition to War Machine, and it, it's it, it doesn't feel like uh, like an affirmative action move. Uh, you know, something that that I I see in movies where they're like, by the way, let's hang a lantern on this and, and let's be proud of how progressive we are. This is a character that deserves to be in the movie because he's a character that deserves to be in the movie. Yeah, period. I like that there were three black superheroes in the lineup. Yep. Yeah. I also want to see an entire movie about uh, about T'Challa's. Uh, I don't know if she was his security person or bodyguard. What, the, uh, the I thought it was the bodyguard. Yeah. Who like? Oh man, she yeah. was amazing. The the one Susan of uh, of 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 Black Panther nerding out that I'll do here is that woman is part of a, a group of uh, honor guards called the Dora Milaje, the adored ones that sh- ritualistically shave their heads and are. Are, are exactly the type of people that you you really want that scene where they 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 have it they go toe to toe with uh with Black Widow um because they're absolute badasses. So he 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 basically has a team of Wonder Women that follow him around and make sure that he's safe. I want that movie. And Martin Freeman is playing a character who has connections to Black Panther, right? Yeah, he's kind of like like a like a UN special envoy bureaucrat jerk um who's kind of a dip but is entertaining and uh and and fun as 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 the personification of uh bureaucratic bureaucracy all sure. over the place so congratulations martin freeman you are uh the bureaucrat oh so so ben Wu in the chat room pointed out and david also found it in a review by alan sebenwall uh the scene in at the end of winter soldier where they're in the bunker with the computer of arnim Do- zola strongly suggests that hydric uh was responsible for the starks dying and that's uh, the yeah. reference if if not bucky 
That's yeah. That's the. Reference. I thought it was clear in the second movie that that's yeah, what happened. That's that's I what mean, we're that's what we're saying in, in, it, in Winter Soldier. So so I had, yeah. I had just forgotten that that was there, and that's an example where there's a callback that everybody's like, oh, how did he know that? And the answer is, it's in another movie that you probably saw and just don't remember that scene. There's, or, there's that asterisk saying, "Go see issue." Yeah, that's the one where Toby Jones says. I, Accidents can happen, or whatever it Accidents is. Accidents com- can happen yeah. in the computer. <laughs> I can't wait to be a cybernetic robot with no head. Beep boop. <laughs> Actually, Jason, that 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 brings me back to to we mentioned. You know, do you have to see all of them and that kind of thing? My wife has not seen the second Captain America, the second Avengers. I think the most recent one she hasn't seen Thor two. Hasn't even seen Thor one. She's she's seen very few of the Marvel movies overall. The most recent one she saw was ant-man she enjoyed that and i'm actually really eager to to take her to see this just to see if it bores the crap out of her or if it actually works pretty well on its own as a standalone thing because she's i mean she's into nerdy stuff it's not like you know we don't have a bunch of jurassic park posters all over our living room um but but i you know i I really do wonder about things like that gasp where it's people who maybe weren't paying attention to and watching the movies three times each or maybe missed one along the way who didn't pick up on something i i i want to feel like this movie did a good enough job of introducing people who maybe maybe somebody doesn't know a particular character who's already been introduced to name, but they're able to pick up on what the relationship is with different characters because they do, they do like a micro recap page with everybody where we get, you know, the clips from Sokovia, the clips from this, the clips from this, the, this is where my life is. I broke up with my girlfriend, you know, I'm looking for my friend and I was in world war two. We get, we get little bits of that stuff. And I wonder if it's, if it's helpful or if it's overwhelming. I I thought they did a good job of it. I I mean, obviously, I've seen all the movies up to this point, but yeah. So so I've got the background for all these things. But I think it I think it did a good enough job yeah. of doing. I mean, I, not perfect. I mean, if you're totally in the dark, I, I no. love that they gave but, us they gave the audience credit of like we think you'll be able to follow this. But what we're not going to mm-hmm. do is say say oh your parents and then a, like a black and white flashback scene where they play back a scene from a previous movie which like tv does a lot and it's like no you know look either either you'll remember it or you'll go with it and we're just going to move on and th- th- this movie would have been uh, just terrible if we had to keep on doing that i would love a footnotes version though i think that would be hilarious <laughs> yeah pop-up marvel cinematic universe <laughs> uh that would be good that would be that would be really good um so spider-man can we can we talk? I, I'm going to let everybody else go first on Spider Man, and then I'll come up again. <laughs> and then James is going to ruin it all at the end. Uh, so, what do people think about uh, about uh, Spider Man? We get, I think he does whatever a spider can. It's true. It, his his webs that he was spinning they were of many sizes, perhaps all the sizes. <laughs> He captures was he catching just, just like, like flies? flies. So we see Tony Stark shows up at Peter Parker's house. Aunt May is, Mar- is Marissa Tomei. Aunt May just keeps getting younger and younger. I just I just want to say he and Aunt May are both the same age, and he's playing like our favorite superhero, and she's a superhero's aunt. Yeah, that's depressing. And he's weirded out by how she's attractive at that age. Come on, Tony Stark. They're the same. Although although Tony Stark is kind of a pig, so I kind of get it. <laughs> 
and, and you know, Aunt May, Aunt May being, if you think about it this way too, she's Peter's aunt, which means all she really needs to be is old enough to be his mom. And if Peter Parker's 15, then it's not reasonable. That also means, yeah, Tony Stark's old enough to be his dad. And I think Tony Stark would never want to ad- admit to that, right? No. He, he thinks of himself <laughs> as much cooler and younger than that. But, you know, he's not. Uh, maybe he's cooler. He's just well, not younger. Well, cinema, in cinema already, Robert Downey Jr. played um, the dad of, uh, I'm blanking on the actress, but she plays Darcy in the Thor movies. But uh, what is her name? Kat Dennings. Oh, is that yeah. it? Yeah, there's a movie where Robert Downey Jr. plays your dad, and it's about a father-daughter relationship. So there's there's already, like, he's always seemed like the dad of the MCU to me, precisely because he does carry himself like a dude who's in his mid-40s. Down, Downey, um, Downey's 51. If, if, uh, if, he, if he was the father of Peter Parker... Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd be an old dad, okay? I yeah. mean, he would not even be. It's like he's 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 probably old enough to be his grandfather. So, I, what I'm saying is, uh, <laughs> let's let's. I, but but it's great. It's great to see Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. I I kind of am, am, am liking how that Aunt May is getting younger because Aunt May does not have to be a very elderly person. In fact, it kind of doesn't make sense for her to be sickly and elderly, except in the comics yeah. where they've had Peter grow Peter, way up. Peter, I've fallen. Oh my heart. Oh, <laughs> I oh, like the idea Peter. that in the. I I like the idea that in the MCU, like she ended up being Peter's guardian at a very young age after his parents were killed in yeah. an accident. She never met Uncle Ben, so there isn't that guilt. And Peter just became a superhero because he he grew up in an era where the Avengers, you know, were were running rampant through the streets when he was nine or ten, and he's like, I'm going to do that. It's the same reason people enlisted after nine eleven. I'm sorry, I'm st- I'm still going to advocate for Ben Parker being played by Jason Alexander because that would be magical. <laughs> <laughs> Every everyone's saying, "Oh, Aunt May is getting younger." Oh, the actresses playing Aunt May are getting younger. Well, Spider Man is much younger in this, so mm-hmm. it's okay. Exactly, and it I, makes I, sense. I would say um, also, I, I think it's jarring for people who are used to the Spider Man movies to think of Spider Man as a kid instead of as a, 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 a you know basically an adult, but twenty nine uh, year old histo- in high school. Yeah, historically, uh, that that you know he started out as as this kid with powers, and I think in the um, in the uh, ultimate Spider-Man stories, which are my favorite, that this is exactly the dynamic, which is there are a whole bunch of grown-up superheroes, and then there's this kid who's Spider-Man, and it's kind of delightful. So I like I like that that's what the dynamic is here. But I think that works well in the in the comics. But you know, in in these films, you know, the idea of young we've had is like Wanda, and Elizabeth Olsen is twenty-seven, and she's playing you know late teens, early twenties. And Tom Holland is 19, but he looks about, you know, 13 or 14 or <laughs> yeah. something to me. It's true. And, mm-hmm. and seeing the, the, the contrast between him and, you know, particularly Robert Downey Jr., um, when Robert Downey Jr. is bringing him into the fold and all this, it just feels so wrong. And Child Soldiers is what I wrote yeah. down in my notes as well. It, is, and, is it not very clearly that Tony is exploiting this kid? I mean, it's totally yeah. that's what's yeah. happening. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that, that ties <laughs> and into I think my that's whole... Why, I think that's why Pop Falcon was kind of pulling his punches, too, when he fights with, with Spider-Man. And he's like, look, I don't know if you know this, but there's not this much quipping. And I, <laughs> oh, so well, I think... Like, I think he twigs early on that he's fighting against a kid because you look at how the people on Team Cat try to deal with Spider-Man and it's mostly let's keep him contained and let's keep him away, but let's not do any serious damage. And I'm pretty sure part of that is, holy crap, this is a kid. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and and Steve has that conversation with him at the end of their fight, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. But I think when you see it as a photorealistic thing, the, the, it sort of triggers different parts of your brain or it does, did for me anyway. I really enjoyed watching him and the... And, 
but the the way that he sort of bounced off the other characters was was a little difficult for me because I would I would like to watch the Tom Holland Spider Man movie. I just felt like he was in a different movie mm. and not in this one. Yeah, and and you know that was the same to a certain extent with uh, with Ant Man, but it wasn't quite as as stark of a difference. No, stark. No stark. Uh, <laughs> uh, and because I felt like I felt like Ant Man was a character who was visiting this movie from somewhere else, and I felt like Spider Man was a character who was just in his own movie and somehow we're seeing it through the lens of this film and it stupid it, kids I enjoyed it if, very much but it pulled me out of this movie every time it happened yeah if you would have told yeah. me that if you would have told me that they shot all of Spider-Man and Tony Stark's scenes after they wrapped production on this movie I would have believed it because they just felt like they just jumped to this 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 new bits of scenes. It just almost felt like you know when Suzanne Summers was holding out from Three's Company, and they sort of had her phone in once a week to ensure <laughs> wow. that she was okay. And I just thought, really? I mean, you could have taken Spider Man out of this film, and and it wouldn't have made a difference. So on on a on a production on a production note, they bolted they bolted Spider Man into the movie before they had the bones of the movie put together. So I very much see that point. Yeah. For me, what I feel like the movie benefited from by having this complete other movie complete other sensibility just kind of crash the party as it were is that where where the marvel movies and i I don't want to make this about a comparison to batman versus superman because i get enough people threatening to uh shoot me or whatever because i have a particular opinion um but where the movie can go just nothing but grimdark 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 like in some ways the comic did you have Spider-Man and Ant-Man both swing in and it kind of bring that levity brings the sense of, you know, this whole conflict is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And you got you Avengers are exactly. bummers. And yeah, <laughs> being a hero is not always just as sad as you guys make it seem to be. I, I agree. I liked, I liked Ant-Man for that. But Spider-Man was maybe a, a bridge too far. See, I, I loved Spider-Man and living living with a smart ass 14 year old. Uh, I was like, oh, that really sounds like a smart-ass 14-year-old. Yep. Like the line where he goes, that really old movie, The Empire Strikes Back. If it had just been, it. <laughs> if it had just been that old movie, that would not have been plausible. But a smart-ass 14-year-old has mm-hmm. has done that joke to me all the time. Yeah, but you know that smart-ass 14-year-old. He's not brand new with all of these people that, that are, are, you know, huge sort of stars to him. And fight. he's fighting possibly literally for his life. I just, mm-hmm. I, if they would have left out the word really, I would have been fine with it. But instead, that scene is like a splinter in my brain. It bothers yeah. me so much. See, I just, I don't think it would have been plausible without it. The reason that it bothered me was... Um, I was I was thinking, oh yeah, uh, Disney owns Star Wars. Now, exactly so what I the thought. Star Wars yeah. references. It's, it's like in the most recent, there was the episode of The Flash where he's referencing Harry Potter, and I was like, oh yeah, they're both Warner Brothers properties now. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I I like the Spider Man. So Spider Man's my favorite superhero, and I liked it. I I don't disagree that it is not necessary for the movie. I I do like the lightness of it. I I like. Is it an ad for the reboot of Spider Man next? year sure it is but i'll tell you this it was a heck of an ad so i i i I didn't mind it at all i realized that i am a i was actually a little worried because um the trailer didn't really inspire me in terms of how he drops in in there but seeing these scenes with tom holland i was like i really like this take on spider-man and i like how he uh you know how he looks in the in the fight scenes and uh and being that that mouthy uh smart ass kid which i think is who spider-man should be so um if you would have i see i and i 
I'm coming at this from not having actually read Spider-Man comics and only vaguely remembering the other movies. And from his earlier scenes, I didn't really get the smart ass kid. I got the sort of like bewildered kid that was like, oh, my God, what is happening? This is this is really cool. I, I read him as sort of enthusiastic and and, you know, not old, but I didn't read him as mouthy and sarcastic, which is why those that line came out of nowhere for me. He puts on the mask and then all yeah. of a sudden he gets to he gets to overcompensate and feel like he's one of the grown-ups. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, see I wish I would have gotten that from there. Well, no, he remind he totally reminded me of um my my niece and several of the girls that I used used to be in a Girl Scout troop when they were tiny. They're they're high school seniors now. Um Sunrise Sunset. And um <laughs> when they all started doing high school drama, what was interesting to me was how effortlessly they code switched between who they were when they were in class, whether they were like the, the the soccer kid or the band geek or whatever, to who they were the minute they were in drama club and putting on these 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 roles on stage, um, and it's kind of a kick to see one kid go from being this this um, very quiet rules following um, you know front row student to playing Miss Hannigan as a a gleefully over the top boozy woman on the make, and that was kind of my impression with. Peter Parker as Spider-Man too is I feel like his bravado was kind of him getting a chance to be who he thinks he is inside and it may have also been a little bit of adolescent protective coloration because you know once he starts fighting he, he knows he knows what he's capable of but there's also a level of holy crap I'm up against grown-ups who do this for a living and so I thought that a lot of his running off his mouth was was part enthusiasm and part look at me look look, look at me look at who my peers are wow this is That's this a is lot who I can be and cannon. part nervous energy <laughs> it may be a lot of head cannon but you know no, which is why I'm looking forward to a Spider-Man movie because all of these things you guys are saying are, are making me nod and go oh yeah that makes sense but they just didn't have time to build that all in and you know I'm old I don't know what? that stuff I need the movie <laughs> yeah. to tell me yeah well that was my complaint with most of the characters too is you have to kind of either you have to bring in a whole lot of stuff like you know the Black Widow motivations can be explained with like three different scenes across three different movies but unless you remember those scenes and you took an active interest in the characters you're not going to um, taking taking as much of my headcanon helmet off as i can for me it's it's very much that acting out of a second persona where he's not the kid in in sweatpants and uh, a homemade mask and goggles grabbing people out of the way of a car he's getting to play with the big kids and be with cool great uncle tony not uncle tony great uncle tony um (laughs) and all and all the superheroes he's seen on tv and holy crap oh man uh i'm i'm up to this level uh and and it's it's just teenage overcompensating to me the the thing that made me slightly uncomfortable in that was when you know um uh, he's fighting with captain america and uh he's like oh yeah tony said you were gonna say that and and you know, he feels a bit not quite brainwashed, but, you know, he's been clearly uh, because, you know, to- Tony's given him the suit. He's given him yeah. all the stuff. Yeah, and- no, he's your sugar daddy and, and he set you up for this. No, I think that's mm-hmm. all there. And I think they do take a light hand with him. And I think Steve talking to him at the end is important. And I think also it says something about Tony where he's like, you're done. Right. Like I, he he. He's not going to – whether that's him rethinking it or what, like this the, – the action and the movie are going to go on. And yes, I know they only have him in so many scenes because he's got to go back and do his own movie. But I did like him saying, kid, you're, you're done. You know, I'm, maybe there's some regret there that he was even brought into this. Well, another thing, the difference between him as himself and him in the suit is remember when he's first talking with Tony, he talks about, you know, why do you, why do you have the dark goggles? Can you even see out of those things? Like, yeah, because my eyes are much more sensitive now. I'm more easily distracted. And so when he's got the suit on, he's more focused too. 
He's, yeah. He doesn't have the same kind of sensory input and the same sort of overload that he has as a regular teenage kid. What I liked in this versus the other movies is that he was clearly very smart. And, you know, yes. Tony, Tony's like, who, who made your, your web shooters or, or that kind of stuff? And he's like, well, I did. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's obviously being set up to be, you know, m- maybe as smart as Tony is down the line. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first Spider-Man, as much as I enjoyed Tobey Maguire, this is the first time a Spider-Man in film felt like Spider-Man to me. Yes, me too. I feel like the, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker was good uh but this this is the uh this is the closest uh the the both no, of yeah. the characters I, have felt I dig, to me. I dig the characterization and my my thing which extends to you know I I love that we had three black superheroes that was great it'd be wonderful if uh, Marvel knew uh, that that Latinos were perfectly willing to be superheroes as well uh, Asians also, <laughs> also. We're, we're up for that as well we got lots of white people playing Asian superheroes yeah, Lisa, what I, are you I talking about <laughs> well, yeah you know my my thing my thing is uh, you know with with the casting of Spider Man I I wish that they would have been comfortable even going biracial and not and i'm not saying oh they should have used miles morales there are plenty of people who are advocating for that but um i don't know if you just want to go with realism uh if you look at queens today it's not it's not it's not very white uh in the first place um so that's just that's something that we we have had I think literally a dozen white Peter Parkers in live action and cartoons, and we we could have we could have at least uh, gone a little less white than than English mm-hmm. white. Not to be racist against the English, I mean we'll have another <laughs> reboot in five years or something. Yeah, yeah. That's right. maybe if we went now, with a character of color, we wouldn't need to reboot it so gosh darn often. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. problem. Well, my, my hope is that given that the MCU keeps on stressing on into infinity, that at some point Miles Morales is going to come into this anyway, um, which I'm okay with because I love that character too. So I yeah. was kind of hoping that I was at, one of the reasons I was excited about this very young Spider-Man is I thought, oh, this opens the door for Kamala Khan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. I mean, since you're since you're recruiting children to fight your battles now, you may as well like cross. You may as that, well cross the river. Tony Jersey Stark's City. truest crime is his use of children as superheroes. I love it. That's, that's, so, it's so not here's, wrong. Here's a question that's bugged me since the first trailer came out, and I've seen it cropping up more and more in the last week or so. Uh, when Tony goes, "Yo, underoos." So that means that underoos exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Who's on them? Who's on them? Uh, pirates. Batman and Superman? Stormtro- I think Stormtroopers. Um, Star Disney Wars characters? Star Wars exists go. in the uh, MCU. Star Wars. Star Wars characters. There we are. Yeah. yeah. That's it. We yeah. know that the Empire from that really back. old movie. So let's detail the two things that uh, that I that shouted John Syracuse at me when I watched this movie. One of them is that uh, that apparently Peter like dumpster dives and finds old Macs or or goes to goes to uh, like uh, flea markets and finds old Macs and fixes them up and messes around with is them. Is he not smart enough to realize he could probably sell that thing for some decent coin? I bet he will. I think that maybe is part of uh, his uh, little side business that we're going to learn about. Uh, so that was a nice like classic Mac shout out for John Syracuse. 
Syracuse. And then, of course, the Empire Strikes Back reference, which we can we can can and have debated whether that was uh, that was a, a little too much of the a really old movie. Uh, but uh, I thought that was a fun I thought that was a fun shorthand because everybody gets what they're saying there about here's how we turn here's how we get giant man to fall, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. And of course, John Syracuse, Empire Strikes Back, it's one of his favorite movies. So if, so if he's this Spider-Man, on, if is. this Spider-Man is around 14, then the Empire Strikes Back was over 20 years old before he was born. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So yeah. for him, it so is, is a really old movie. No, the, ar- the argument, I-, I think, is that Erica thinks that that was a little too far, and David thinks that is exactly smart-assed enough for him. So no, I-, I completely agree. I think, I think that it was, it, was a, it was a battle tactic as much as it was him just being himself. Uh, okay, so we've got a little bit of time left, and so my question, before we go around and just uh, do a final overview of how everybody would rate this movie, anything we should cover that we haven't? I feel like we've covered a whole lot of ground here. Yeah. Uh, We've covered at least seven stories. <laughs> oh. One of the things I was told is that um, there are many, many inconsistencies in all the German and uses of German. Oh, I'm sure. Including the, the GSG-9's German special forces. It should have been the Austrian special forces and lots of James is married problems. to a German. That's his secret. <laughs> His secret consultant on this, who was just fuming about all these all these references. So I I have to uh, contractually bring okay, that up. Good, that's good. I wanted to mention uh, John, Don Cheadle uh, as Rhodey. Uh, interesting thing, oh. he does get he does get hurt. Although they show that Tony is like making him sort of a walking a walking suit at the end. That's when we get the Tony Stank line. Um, I like Don Cheadle. Um, uh, it's fun to, that he's still in these movies because that, that's like a character that they could have just ignored, and it's nice to have him in it um as another one i don't know if people saw the twitter exchange that he did i think yesterday where somebody asked why war machine doesn't have a little uh, snarky uh irish ai in his suit and uh <laughs> uh he says i think you know the reason and somebody said what because tony wants to keep all the good tech to himself and don Cheadle's response was well i was going to say racism but okay <laughs> <laughs> i love don Cheadle, uh but it was good to see him it was good to see him in the in the movie because i again i i think that's a fun character to have have a second you know iron man suit and uh and uh that they didn't forget about him so and then he gets a little tiny very tiny story arc very tiny i was quite surprised they didn't kill him because me too this fame seemed to be setting up that somebody was going to die. Okay, so I'm going to give a spoiler for the comic of Civil War and some of the spinoffs of the comic of Civil War. But I have to say, my biggest surprise in this movie is yeah. I thought they would kill Captain America at the end of it. Me I too, know that yeah. Chris Evans is running out of his contract. Me too. And Me I really too. thought, and I, yes. and I thought it was sort of set up that that, that was going to be the surprise at the end is that and is Bucky that he was, was going to take the shield and Bucky would take the shield. And I'm I'll, I'm yeah. kind of surprised. Then he sacrifices that, himself for. Bucky I assume and, what yeah. instead what they decided was they want to make Avengers Infinity War with Chris Evans and they're backing up the truck full of money to his house for those two movies. <laughs> well, I, I think another part of it is that is that Evans has done a bunch of stuff that isn't Marvel stuff while he was kind of grousing about how he felt like he should be getting paid more and it's kind of a pain. One of the things that, I don't know, has filtered through the, the chain is that apparently his big, uh, his big thing was he just really hated all the working out that he had to do and it was just, it was a pain, but then he's tried doing a bunch of stuff that isn't playing Captain America and and he's kind of realized 
you know, being Captain America ain't so bad. Um, <laughs> the meal ticket. Yeah. This could be worse. Uh, so, yeah, maybe, yeah, don't don't kill me off. I think I'll resign. I think well, I'm good, guys. And I think he, I'm good. like Robert Downey Jr., they have both exhausted their contracts, which means that Marvel has had to re-up them by movie by movie for larger sums of money, which is not a bad place to be if you're an actor, right? So, Well, Robert Downey Jr. was saying this week, you know, he'd be up for a fourth one. Yeah, I, Iron Man film, so. I I do wonder at some point that their leverage is so their leverage is so great. Uh, it, it it'll be. I mean, this is something to plant for five years from now. But at some point, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to have to either continue without a lot of these key characters because they won't want to come back, or because they're too old, or they're going to have to sort of close it and then like start again. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, the movie franchise deal deals with this because like Star Wars can always kind of have this continuing story that pushes into the future but like you only get tony stark as iron man this one time unless you reboot it for me what civil war accomplishes the best that other superhero movies of late have not is that it made it a big deal a cool deal an event to go out to the movies with other people talk about it afterward like we're doing right now and just have fun and and you know even when dealing with sometimes dark or complicated or difficult subject matter you know find find a, a an underlying spirit of adventure and fun and uh, the possible that gives us an escape from from everyday life and that's that's what they're continuing to crank out really well and i don't i don't see it stopping for them unless they decide they need to do six movies a year and not pay as much attention to them as they currently are Team Moises. Is that Moises? Is that what? what do you have anything more of your uh, sort of final verdict of the movie? Because I'm moving into the final verdict of the movie phase. That's that. That's that's it. Um, All right. If 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 you're going to give me an Avengers movie, a Captain America movie, an Iron Man movie, a Black Panther movie, and a co-stars movie all wrapped into one make it as coherent and give everybody as much of a reason to be on screen as as you give them in this movie. This this is the thing that you should be trying to rip off in terms of dynamic if you if you are somebody that is trying to construct a narrative this complex. Uh David, what's your final verdict? I really liked it. It it uh I I thought it held together better than the Avengers movies, which I mean even the first one, it took me 3 tries to get through it without falling asleep. And I like it. I do like it. But I did keep falling asleep. Just in a sleepy way. And, and Ultron was, you know, fine. It had really fun moments. It had really long, boring moments. Uh, this one, I was engaged throughout. I, I really enjoyed it. Erica? I enjoyed it. It was it was a fun experience at the theater. It didn't feel as long as it, it was, which is a thing I was worried about. Um, I, I think it actually just makes me look forward to to other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies uh, more than going back to watch this again, simply because, like I said, I, I didn't care about Bucky. And I, this movie, I actually liked Steve before this movie. And after this one, I really don't like him so much anymore. <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay with his contract running out and, and watching some other characters do some other things next time. All right. Uh, Steven? I think it's uh, it's one of my least favorite of the Marvel Universe movies, actually, um, because of what Erica said there about me not liking Cap. Uh, very much and honestly the the endless fight scenes um i knew that there was going to be nothing resolved at them because they're friends fighting friends and no one's going mm. to die and and i have to admit a little bit of concern just because they're they're having so many characters and they're introducing new ones with black panther who i like but doctor strange and a couple others i don't even know if inhumans are coming i'm not even sure if that's on the board anymore it's not but i'm just i'm just i'm just worried about 
the whole universe becoming stuffed uh, to the point where it just becomes unmanageable. I don't read the comics. I only know these characters through the movies. When the Avengers was announced and everyone was going crazy, I thought they're they're bringing back Steed and Peel again. I didn't even know about this. <laughs> so, Which I would watch the hell out of. Yeah, way. they did it once and it failed. So I'm a, I'm yes. a little worried about how things are, are going to move into the future. There were, there were bits about this movie that I liked, but there was lots that I actually really didn't. James? Well, I mean, I'd like to claim like so many good things that the film is partially Scottish because Mark Miller, who wrote the original comic series, lives somewhere next to my house um, and I've seen him around the streets here. So I kind of feel that I have to like it on that ground. But I I came out of it and I really liked it and I thought it was uh, significantly better than Ultron. And then as I've sort of sat down and analysed it and taken it apart, I actually like it slightly less. And I, the thing that bothered me the most, the two things that bothered me the most was Spider-Man, who I really disliked the portrayal of, and the fact that Robert Downey Jr. was really unlikable to me for most of the movie. Um, but having said that, I did enjoy it. All right. And Lisa? Well, I love that big patriotic Dorito. So uh, um, <laughs> I enjoy <laughs> Well, no, get cool Chris Evans Captain is basically America. shaped like a Dorito broad at the short. Yeah, he is. Cooler um, ranch. I thought that this movie actually did very well by most of its characters. Um, I have really mixed feelings about Bucky. I like the relationship that Cap has with Bucky. I've always had mixed feelings about how he's portrayed and how he's cast. So I've, I've let the color it. And I do think the movie got a little draggy once they moved to Siberia, but there was so much about this that was so smart. And um, I think that the Russo brothers do a great job with the action sequences. They're, they're just wonderful to watch. And there's a surprising amount of heart at the movie. So I think this is probably my top three for the Marvel movies, if I had to rank them. And I'm really looking forward to going back and seeing it again yeah i uh i, I liked it a lot um uh, there uh, like james the more i thought about some of the things in it the more i i saw sort of the seams of it but in the moment uh i appreciated it i've said a lot about the avengers movies that i sometimes i grade the avengers movies based on what they're being asked to do which is a lot of franchise work and servicing lots of characters which is very hard to do in 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 uh, a good way at all and i think that the avengers movies both did that but uh especially the first one uh, you could see the strain but it managed to keep it all because i thought the first avengers movie was going to be a disaster and the fact that it was not a disaster is is uh impressive um uh, this movie has to do that too it's not it is a captain america movie in some ways but it, it's really doing the job of the avengers movies which is to with you know uphold the franchise introduce new characters um not if every marvel movie was like this it would be a terrible series but there are lots of standalone movies and then there are the movies where everybody gets to play together and i think it did a good job um I, because it was it was stuffed but i felt like it did a good job with all of the different things that were stuffed into it and uh the russo brothers did such a good job with uh civil war or, or with a uh, winter soldier i think they did um I, I don't think this is as good a movie as winter soldier is but i think that would have been hard to do because it's not as as uh, streamlined as even that movie it, it because it has just full of all this stuff but i think they did i think they did a good job i i, I definitely came out of it the for me sometimes the litmus test is do i do i uh leave the movie theater and sometime over the next 12 hours think oh man i wish i could uh, go watch it again and i actually did feel that for this movie so uh, i guess i i will give it a thumb up i don't know where it fits in the in the list all right well uh the civil war is in the books i i guess uh <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> and uh, and we've talked about it. I don't see it. what's so civil about war anyway. Well, if only there were more Canadians involved, it would be much more civil is what I'm saying. But I'd like to thank my guests for being here. Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Moises Chuyan, thank you very much for being here. I don't care. <laughs> David Lohr, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I could do this all day. James Thompson, thanks. James Thompson will return. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Erica Ensign. The only line I can remember is, I hate you, but that sounds so mean. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, how about, uh, and, and uh, Stephen Schapansky, can you slide that C forward a little bit? <laughs> no. Uh, I, I, I only hope, I only hope that uh, Stanley has one uh, cameo at least left in him so that his last words spoken in a Marvel film aren't Tony Stank. <laughs> I, I hope they motion capture him so he's in all, all of the movies forever. from now on. Yeah, probably so. All right, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this Flash episode about Captain America Civil War. We will see you next week with episode number 300. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. 